Good morning. Exciting day today. We have uh, the children's choir singing here in a little bit, and then we have uh, something else that I think you'll uh, be excited about too that's happening at the end of the service. So I read a story about a guy, we'll, uh, we'll call him Jason. We'll call him Jason because that's actually his name. And uh, Jason was a college student, and he became infatuated with this freshman girl by the name of Heather. And he would talk to his friends all the time about Heather. But Heather had no romantic interest whatsoever in Jason. He finally convinced her to go on a date with him. And so there's a lot of pressure on this date, right? I mean, he needs to make sure that everything goes right. And he's thinking a dinner and a movie's not going to do it. He wants to really impress her. And while Jason was very intelligent, and Jason had a great sense of humor, you wouldn't describe him as being much of a physical specimen of a man. He was downright scrawny. So to kind of impress her and make her think that he was a man's man, he and his buddies come up with this plan. And the plan is on this first date that about dark, he and Heather are going to go to a local park and then his five friends are going to show up and they're going to mug them and he will fight them all off. This is a terrible idea, right? Like, don't ever do this. So the night rolls around and sure enough, he's walking with Heather when his five buddies drive up in a car and they slam on the brakes. They jump out in black outfits with ski mask on and the whole ruckus starts and Heather runs up screaming and he stays behind and it's like WWE. People are wrestling and fake punches are being thrown and some that were not so fake. And finally, after a couple minutes of this, one of the guys yells, this guy is too much for us. Let's go. And so they leave, and they leave Jason basking in his glory, the knight in shining armor, so to speak. Again, is that not a terrible idea? I mean, like, what if there would have been some gun-toting Good Samaritan close by carrying a weapon? You know, somebody could have got killed in this. But anyway, here's the rest of the story. Jason and Heather ended up getting married. They have four children. They're missionaries to Italy. But it all started like on a lie, right? Like it all started on something that wasn't true. It wasn't real. They were just putting on a show, trying to make her think that he was stronger than he was, that he was somebody that he wasn't. And I think that happens sometimes in our churches that we put on a show and we try to mask the lack of power that we have from God by just putting on a good performance, maybe a good show, and then kind of hoping that nobody will notice that there's not really any real depth to us. 
If the show and the performance is somehow good enough, we can overcome that. That we don't really have a solid foundation. I think sometimes we do that in our personal lives too. We try to make people think that we're more spiritual than we are. And maybe we do that by just the things that we say and that kind of thing. Or maybe it's our social media post or whatever. And we hope that we're fooling people. And that they'll think that there's really something, some spiritual depth to us, but there's not. We're putting up a good front, but there's nothing there. And so one of the things I've tried to ask you to kind of grapple with in this series is the fact, if the Holy Spirit was to leave our church, would we even notice? Or would it just be business as usual? And on a personal level, if the Holy Spirit was to leave your life, would you notice? Would anybody else notice? Because we see in the New Testament church, and we're going to study some more about the church this morning over in the book of Acts, that the New Testament church was completely dependent on the power of the Holy Spirit. It wasn't a performance. It wasn't a show. It was the power of the Holy Spirit. And I quoted A.W. Tozier last week. He made this statement. If the Holy Spirit was withdrawn from the church today, 95% of what they do would go on and no one would know the difference. If the Holy Spirit had been drawn from the new, withdrawn from the New Testament church, 90% of what they did would stop and everybody would notice. So we want to understand as a church what God has called us to do and that that takes the power of God to accomplish that. And as followers of Jesus Christ, we need to understand that we can't be the followers of Jesus Christ that we need to be if we're not depending on the power of the Holy Spirit. None of us want to be just putting on a show or putting on a performance. So we're in the second week of this series called Holy Spirit, Wind and Fire. And so last week we talked about the Holy Spirit being a real person. Jesus, God, and the Holy Spirit. He's a person, not this, you know, kind of eerie thing that, that kind of floats out there. He's a real person. And we want to make sure in this series that we just don't talk about the Holy Spirit, but we further personally encounter Him. And so just like we did last week, I want to start with some words of Jesus. And this is kind of a doctrinal sermon. I hope you understand when you're, when you're dealing with doctrine, it, it, the, the, the Bible is full of theology, but it's not like a theology book where like chapter 1 is soteriology and chapter 2 is bibliology and chapter 3 is eschatology. It doesn't lay out like that. But as you put the whole thing together, you come up with a very systematic theology. And so we're going to be in a different places today just because it's kind of a, a doctrinal sermon. And that's kind of what it calls for rather than being in just one passage. And I mentioned to you, I want to start with some words of Jesus over in the book of Acts, chapter 1, verse 8. And he's getting ready to leave his disciples. And he says, you will receive, and there's that word that we're talking about this morning, power. When the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses. That word power here is from the Greek word dunamis. And you may recognize that it's very similar to our English word dynamite. And dynamite is actually a derivative of that word dunamis. And it means, because you think about a, a, a stick of dynamite, the word literally means explosive 
power. And as you look into the book of Acts, the story of the early church, you see that the power of the Holy Spirit is consistently tied to what goes on there. And the power of the Holy Spirit is not used for one's own personal gain. It's not used for your own benefit or for show. But when you look at the book of Acts, it's used as a witness and it's used to help other people. What God asks us to do, we are not called to do under our own power. But isn't that what we try to do a lot of times? We want to just try to do everything on our own, this independent spirit that we have. That's not the way it's supposed to be. I mean, it would be like you have a car and it's fully gassed up and it runs fine, but instead of driving it, you're pushing it around. Or, or you're working out in your garden and instead of using your tractor or shovel, you're out there with a spoon. Or you've got a beautiful sailboat. It's got a beautiful sail on it and the wind's blowing and you're using the road, you know, the oars. I mean, it doesn't make sense to live life that way. But that's what we do a lot. Your relationship challenge, your behavioral struggle, maybe your, your, your addiction issue, maybe it's an anxiety thing or whatever, whatever it is that you, that you might be struggling with. We tend to think, well, I just need to work harder. I need to get me some self-help books. Just got to put my nose to the grindstone, so to speak. And we just have this, this independent spirit that we can figure it out. But God doesn't want us to be more self-reliant. He wants us to be more spirit-reliant, Holy Spirit-dependent. That's what he's asking us to do as followers of Jesus. There's another passage. It's also written by Luke. Luke wrote Acts, and of course he also wrote the Gospel of, of, of Luke. And there's another passage when Jesus is leaving this earth. It's the same event. And Luke says this in Luke chapter 24, verse 49. Jesus said to his followers, and now I will send the Holy Spirit just as my Father promised. But stay here in the city until the Holy Spirit comes and fills you with power from heaven. Jesus says, look, don't do anything until the Holy Spirit comes. Just wait here. He doesn't say, hey guys, I know you're excited. Go ahead. Just go ahead and get started. The Holy Spirit will catch up with you later, but you can just kind of get started, get a, get a jump on this. Now think with me here. The followers of Jesus are excited, right? They thought Jesus was dead, and now he's not. And now they get to work on, on their mission is going to be the kingdom, building the kingdom. And they're like new troops that have never been into combat, and they're all excited about it. What's our mission? What are we going to do? When are we going to see some action? And that's kind of the disciples here. What do you want us to do? What's our first mission, God? Uh, yeah. Wait. Wait till the Holy Spirit comes. And then you can go to work. It's clear from the very beginning of the church that everything was dependent on the power of the Holy Spirit. And so what I want to do this morning is kind of give you some ways that the Holy Spirit empowers us. I mean, there's all kinds of ways that, you know, we could be here all day talking about it, but I just want to pick out a few ways to look out this morning about how the Holy Spirit empowers us. The first is this. The Holy Spirit empowers you by helping you when you are weak. 
He helps us when we're weak. And I would go so far as to say, in our weakness is when we generally feel the Holy Spirit working the most in us. And I say that because when we're not vulnerable and things are going pretty good for us, we kind of think, well, I don't need the Holy Spirit. I'm, I'm doing pretty good on my own. I don't need to worry about it. I don't need his help right now. And we're just kind of dependent on ourselves. But when things aren't good, then, then we tend to depend on him more. He's there all the time, but our dependence is not the same. But when things are going south, it, it, it's a lot different. And I think that is somewhat because, like for example, if you're a parent, I think most parents would say, most parents would say, you know, I got this parent thing down. I got it down pretty good for the most part. Yeah, there's some things I might need some help with. And yeah, if they're teenagers, maybe a little bit more help. But you probably think to yourself, I've got this thing down pretty good. I really don't. You know, when I need the Holy Spirit, I'll kind of call on Him to kind of jump in. And because most of us, we see a relationship as kind of a negotiation. So I'll just kind of build up my chips with the Holy Spirit. I mean, you know, I'll give and I'll go to church and I'll do those kinds of things. And uh, just build up some chips. And then, when I need the Holy Spirit's help, I'll cash in some of those chips and He can help me out. And I think that's where we would say it like that. that. That's kind of the way we think. And I don't want to burst anybody's balloon this morning. But I'm going to. God doesn't need your help. God doesn't need my help. He doesn't need it. Like he never has and he never will. He doesn't need you to accomplish his will. I bring nothing to the table. You bring nothing to the table. He doesn't need your talents. I mean, he's the one that gave them to you. He doesn't need your money. He's given it to you. He's letting you use it. He doesn't need your opinion. He doesn't need your counsel. He certainly doesn't need your permission. He doesn't need anything from us. We have nothing to negotiate with. He comes, he's got all the chips, and he doesn't need you. But God loves us, even though we can't offer anything to him. He loves us unconditionally, and for that relationship to work, we have to realize that we are dependent on him, and until we recognize our dependence on him, it doesn't work. And I would be the first to admit that's hard in our Western society, Western world, right? I mean, you know, pull yourself up by the bootstraps, figure it out on your own. I don't need anybody else. We want to be independent. We want positions of power. We don't want to be needy in a relationship. So that makes it really hard for us sometimes to be dependent in that relationship. You know, it's interesting if you study church history, even today, church growth, explosion of Christianity, usually happens when the church is under persecution. Because it's during those times, everybody realizes it's just about God. There's nothing we can do. When governments are oppressing the church, when things are going bad for the church, that's when things really go well. Because they depend on the Holy Spirit more to get them through it. So that means you and I, when we're in a position of 
vulnerability, when, when things aren't going good, God will empower us. You know, a few years ago, I'm sure most of you remember this, we got a few inches of the white stuff that we weren't expecting. You remember it came down in an afternoon? Excuse me just a moment. <coughs> Sorry about that. So, we, so it started coming down in the afternoon, and you, you remember it was a disaster trying to get kids home because the buses couldn't uh, get up hills and all that kind of stuff. And my daughter was one of those people that kind of got trapped out. And so she's calling me, and, and she, she's kind of getting a little bit panicky, and she's a little bit frustrated because she'd come into the subdivision in her little gold car, and she couldn't get up the hill in our subdivision. And uh, she's just, you know, the tires is and she's not going anywhere. And I can sense the panic in her voice when she calls. She says, Dad, what do I do? And I said, look, just get over to the side as much as you can. Turn your flashers on, and I'll be there as soon as I can get there. Now, I couldn't drive either. I, we got a steep driveway. There was no way I was going anywhere. But So I walked over there. It's about a 10-minute walk, and I slip and slide down the hills. And there are cars. It's like bumper cars. People have slid into each other all over the place. But she's kind of separate from all that, and her flashers are on, and, and uh, she, so, you know, I jump in the driver's seat, and she slides over into the uh, passenger seat, and I don't drive her car that often, so I just kind of looked over the, the council real quick, and uh, started it up, put it into gear, and sure enough, it just slid a little bit sideways, and you can smell the rubber burning, put it back in park, and when I did, I noticed there was a little button on the side of the shifter. I said, what does this do, Haley? She said, I don't know. So I push the button on the shifter, and this little orange light comes on on the dash, and it says traction control. Now, I knew she didn't have all-wheel drive, and I didn't exactly know what traction control meant, but I thought, okay, we'll leave that button on. I put it back in gear. Up the hill we went, just straight up the hill. You see, it had been there the whole time. She'd never needed it. She didn't know it came on the car. But when it was needed, she realized it was there. And there are times in our life when we're stuck and we're weak and we're vulnerable. And that's when the Holy Spirit has the most opportunity to work. He helps us when we're weak. Second thing I want you to notice this morning. The Holy Spirit empowers you when he sanctifies you. Over in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 11, it says this, But you were washed, and you were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ by the Spirit of God. Now, you know that word sanctified there? I think sometimes we get scared of that word. It's like one of those theological words. You know, just a simple definition of sanctified means to become more and more like Jesus and it's not a matter of you and I trying hard to be more like Jesus. It's about you and I letting the Holy Spirit empower us to be more like Jesus. Trusting the Spirit to help us grow to be more like Jesus. He does the work. We do the surrender. And that can be pretty powerful, can it? You used to have a terrible temper, but now you display gentleness. You used to act selfishly, but now you act with kindness. You used to be really demanding, but now you're patient. You used to constantly be on the edge and you were stressed, 
and now you're at peace. You used to act impulsively, but now through the Spirit you exercise self-control. Those are all powerful indicators that the Holy Spirit is working in us. And I could fill this stage this morning with people who had talked to you about how the Holy Spirit has changed their life. You may remember we did that one year at Easter over at Heritage High School. We had our Easter service over there. There are people here that would say, when my dad became a Christian, he changed. And I wanted to be like that. When my mom became a Christian, she was different. When my husband became a Christian, when my wife became a Christian, I was cynical. But boy, did I watch her change. What is that? That's the power of the Holy Spirit working in us. Thirdly, the, the, the Holy Spirit empowers us to know God's will. The first we looked at last week, John chapter 14, verse 26. But when the Father sends the advocate as my representative, that is the Holy Spirit, he will teach you everything and will remind you of everything I have told you. Or maybe you're, you might have a translation that reads something like this, I like this. Will guide you in all things and remind you of everything that I have said to you. So the Holy Spirit, He directs us and He guides us. You know, a lot of times I'm asked this question, well, how do you know God's will for your life? And those of you who have ever worked with youth or in, in any capacity, I know Billy gets this question a lot, well, how do I know what God's will is? That's a great question. That's a question you should be asking. But a lot of times it's not so much about God giving you some kind of crazy revelation. It's about a relationship. That you're walking in step with the Holy Spirit and then He'll show you what His will is. I mean, you certainly see that in the book of Acts. Over and over, the early church, the Holy Spirit is guiding and directing them. The Holy Spirit is mentioned over 50 times in the book of Acts. You know, Acts actually, the Acts of the Apostles is the full name of the book of Acts. And some people have suggested, well, they should change it to the Acts of the Holy Spirit because it's really the Holy Spirit that was doing the directing and the guiding in the book of Acts. And I just want to share a couple examples with you of how we see the Holy Spirit guiding and directing. And this first one is one of my favorite examples. It's over in Acts chapter 15, verse 28. Just kind of set the, the stage for you here a little bit. There's some new Gentile converts and so they're writing a letter to these Gentile converts to kind of give them some instructions on how to grow and, and, and their faith. And there's this little phrase in the letter, and I love this phrase, Acts 15, verse 28. It seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us. I love that phrase. It seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us. Like, no, there wasn't a bolt of lightning and a boom of thunder and the earth shook and God told us that's what we needed to do. No, it seemed good to us. It seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us. That means they were walking with the Holy Spirit. They knew what was, that that's what God wanted them to do. This is more of a relationship than a revelation. There's another example. 
in the book of Acts chapter 8. And it's Philip and the uh, Ethiopian eunuch. And the story is basically the, the, Ethiopian, the Ethiopian eunuch is, is reading about the Messiah, but he doesn't understand what he's reading. He's reading out of the Old Testament about the Messiah. And so Philip's there, and, and God says to him in verse 29 of chapter 8, The Holy Spirit said to Philip, Go over and walk along beside the carriage or, the, or beside the chariot. And then the interesting thing is, the Bible doesn't say, Philip said, well, okay, I'll do that, but first tell me what the plan is. First tell me what I'm going to say when I get there. What is it you want me to do when I get there? None of that happens. In fact, in verse 30, the Holy Spirit says, go over, and it says that Philip ran. He ran to this guy. And, and then he begins to talk to him, and he says, do you understand what you're reading? And the guy's like, no, I don't understand. And Philip begins to share about Jesus and about having a relationship with Jesus Christ. And the Ethiopian eunuch's like, yes, I want to have that relationship. And, and he accepts Jesus Christ. And, and then he says, can, can I be baptized? And then Philip says, no, you can't be baptized. We don't have a robe here, and, and there's not a bunch of people here, Right? No, he says, of course you can. And they go down, and he's baptized immediately. You see, the thing about the Holy Spirit, like we said last week, it's like the wind. You can't predict the wind. You can't contain the wind. You can't put the wind in a box. I think that kind of bothers us sometimes because we want things to kind of be predictable. Because when they're not, when they get out of that box, it makes us all uncomfortable, a lot of us. That's why when we hear things about change, it makes us uncomfortable because all at once, well, things aren't so predictable anymore. But that's the way the Holy Spirit works. He's not going to be put in a box. He's going to push us out of our comfort zones sometimes. And that's why we as a church want to be committed to trying new things and, and taking new approaches as we, as we try to see where the wind's blowing, so to speak. We're trying to see where the Holy Spirit might be leading us. We don't want our programming and our plans and, and our traditions and opinions to be more important than what God might be showing us, what the Holy Spirit might be telling us. Now, we're not saying we throw everything out. But we're saying we need to be sensitive. I need to be sensitive. You need to be sensitive. Where is the Holy Spirit leading us? I mentioned baptisms earlier. You know, the scriptures are, there's some things about baptism that, that's pretty unclear. I mean, there's some things that are definitely clear about immersion and things like that. And you do it after you've accepted Christ and it's a symbol. Those type of things are pretty clear. But there's nothing that says what you're supposed to wear, who's supposed to do it. And so a few years ago, we started offering dads the opportunity. Hey, would you like to baptize your child? You know, when a child comes forward or a teenager or whatever and wants to, to accept Christ. Some dads love to do that. And, and, and they're excited about it. Other dads, and I perfectly understand this, they're not comfortable in front of a mic. That's not their thing. And that's fine too. Either way, we're just excited that, that a person's being baptized. We also... For years, it was always the white robes. Nothing wrong with the white robes. We started giving people an option. We had these t-shirts made. And I wish I'd have brought one in here. But it, but it basically talks about having your life transformed. 
And you get to keep the t-shirt if you want to be baptized in the t-shirt. And then you can wear that to school, you can wear it to work or wherever, and it becomes a witnessing tool. What does that t-shirt mean? What do you mean by transformation that kind of thing? And it's just a, it's just a witnessing tool. Some people love that. Other people are like, no, I'd, I'd just rather be in, in the robe. Either way, we're fine with it. We're just excited about it. And we baptize people in swimming pools, and we baptize people in the ocean. And years before we ever had this baptistry, they baptized people in the Chickamauga Creek over here. I've seen pictures of it. Johnny Jennings, one of our older church members, 1941, there's a picture of him being baptized in the creek over here in Chickamauga Creek. We just want to be sensitive to what God is telling us and where he's leading us. We want to give opportunity to respond to what God might be telling us. And let me be clear. We are always going to ask the question, does whatever we're thinking about align with Scripture? Is there anything in the Bible that would prevent us from doing this? We stand on the Bible as the foundation. And there is some freedom there. But our, and, and our prayer is, don't let our programming, don't let our traditions, don't let that kind of stuff get in the way. Don't let our opinions be the determining factor. We want to keep in step with the Holy Spirit. But we want to test everything through the lens of the Word of God. And the Holy Spirit will never contradict the Bible. You know, sometimes you hear people say, well, God told me, or the Holy Spirit said. And we don't want to dismiss that. Just, well, that's just, we don't want to do that. But what we do want to do is look at it through Scripture. Does it match up? That leading that you have, that thing that you think God's telling you, does it match up with Scripture? So I got a, a spam. I don't know if all y'all get spam. This came on my cell phone. They're going to play it for you. It's a little bit scary. I bet some of you have probably had this same call. Could you play that for us? Serious emergency and time sensitive. We are calling you from the investigation team of IRS. We have just received a notification regarding your tax filings from the headquarters which will get expired in next 24 working hours. And once it get expired after that you will be taken under custody by the local cops as there are four serious allegations pressed on your name at this moment. We would request you to get back to us so that we can discuss about this case before taking any legal action against you. The number to reach us is... Anybody ever get that? Anybody else in here? Yeah, I figured some of you had. That's a little disconcerting, right? You hear him tell you the local police is coming after you from headquarters? I don't know what headquarters, but headquarters somewhere. It's a little disconcerting too when you, when you listen to that and you wonder, who's teaching grammar to IRS agents these days, right? I mean, it's just a mess. But you know, I listened to that and I wasn't nervous at all. It didn't really make me too apprehensive because I knew it didn't match up with what I know about the, R the IRS. The IRS is going to send you a bill before they call you. And the local police aren't going to show up. The IRS agents are going to show up. At least that's what I've been told. I don't know this personally. <laughs> but, we, but, but, but that's what we know. And that's how it works. So I see the inconsistencies in this message. And I hear that voice. And I say, well, this doesn't match up to what I know to be true. 
So that's why we check things through the Word of God. Not our opinions, not our preferences or feelings, but that the Word of God guides us. And we want to be careful and we want to be cautious. You know, a couple times since I've been here, it's happened twice. Once it was before the service and then it happened once uh, during the invitation. Somebody has come up to me and the words basically were this. God has told me that I should sing on this stage this morning. Now, that's a little tricky, isn't it? And uh, my response, and I said it with a smile and I wasn't really being sarcastic. Well, when God tells me, then we'll do that. We'll roll with it. I mean, you know, I wasn't being mean. But that, you know, we have to check things out and we have to be, you know, be careful. Fourth one, the Holy Spirit also shows his power by giving you gifts from others. So over in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul talks about gifts. And what had happened with the church there at Corinth is they had kind of used the, the gifts to kind of create a, a, a division, so to speak. So the, like there were some people who had certain gifts and they were like the varsity, right? And then other people, their gifts weren't looking, looked at so highly and so they were kind of the JV team, right? So you could be on the team, but you're on the bench. And so it was causing some real problems there. So Paul is addressing like that is addressing them. And it's real interesting that, that gifts would be dividing these people because when you think about it, that's just ridiculous because the purpose of the gifts is to unify us and to benefit each other. And it's important that we understand spiritual gifts are not for our benefit. They are for the benefit of other people. And the Holy Spirit is not in the business of drawing attention to you. The Holy Spirit is about bringing unity and about bringing blessings to others. So beginning in verse 4 of chapter 12, Paul begins to address this. And he says, there are different kinds of spiritual gifts, but the same Spirit is the source of them all. There are different kinds of service, but we serve the same Lord. God works in different ways, but is the same God who does the work in all of us. And then he says, a spiritual gift is given to each of us so that we can, there it is, help each other. Paul's saying, look, there's no room for pride here. There's no room for self-righteousness based on, on the gift that you've been given. It's like, look, you didn't choose this gift. You didn't pay for this gift. God gave you this gift. And it's not for you. It's for you to use for the benefit of other people. And in Scripture, you never find where we're told to seek an experience, a certain experience, a certain gift, or a certain proof as evidence that we have been filled with the Holy Spirit. It's not in there. Again, verse 7, a spiritual gift is given to each of us. Why? So we can help each other. And he goes on to talk about the, the different gifts, which would, would, would take too long this morning. That'd be a whole other sermon series. But he kind of goes into that and explains all the different gifts. And then in verse 20, Paul begins to clarify what he's saying by using a metaphor of the human body. He says, there's many parts, but they're all important. And the function of each part matters. 
And so he begins in verse 20. Yes, there are many parts, but only one body. The eye can never say to the hand, I don't need you. The head can never say to the feet, I don't need you. Verse 29, are we all apostles? Are we all prophets? Are we all teachers? Do we all have the power to do miracles? Do we all have the gift of healing? Do we all have the ability to speak in unknown languages? Do we all have the ability to interpret unknown languages? And then he says, of course not. So he's like saying, no, there are lots of different gifts and we're to use them to unify the church and to bless other people. So our prayer when it comes to gifts is, God, show me what my spiritual gift is and then show me how I use it. How do I use that in your local church? How do I use this for your kingdom? Here's what I want to do this morning as we end. Last week we talked about the person of the Holy Spirit and I just kind of gave you a very simple homework assignment. I said just make your prayer this week that, that, that God would, would show you him as the person of the Holy Spirit. That you would just ask God that because I think like I said earlier we think so much about essence and stuff. But he's the third person of the Trinity. The Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. It's the third. It's a person. So I asked you to, to do that last week. I've got another really simple assignment for you this week. Would you just ask God this week to, to just fill you with his power? Not some mystical kind of thing, but, but just a surrender on your part and a yielding to him. You know, there's, this, this is what I do in the morning. Maybe this works for you. In the shower, that song, you know, that the Holy Spirit rained down on you. Maybe that could be your prayer this week. God, you know, you're standing under the shower every morning. God, would your, would your spirit just fill me this week? Would you just make me more conscious of, of what you want me to do so that I'm not just living for myself? Simple prayer. And maybe doing that in the shower, you'll, you'll make the connection as you're in there and the, rain, the, the water will start coming down. You're like, oh yeah, pastor talked about. And just, maybe just use that as, as kind of an idea to remind you. Just, just asking for the power of the Holy Spirit and being in tune to what he wants you to do. Would you pray with me, please? Father, we thank you for your word. And we thank you for how your word is sharp and it cuts us and it changes us and, and transforms us. And, and Father, we thank you for the Holy Spirit. And Father, we're talking about a subject that a lot of times we kind of avoid because maybe we're, we're afraid of being put in a different camp or something or, or not getting it right. But Father, there's, there's so much to the power of your spirit. Help us to live that way. Help us to not be using a spoon when there's a tractor there or oars when there's a sail there. Help us to, to sense your presence and to submit to it and, Father, to do the things and live the life that you want us to live. Help us just to be sensitive to that this week. Father, thank you for loving us. Thank you for everybody that's here today. I just pray now as we come to this commitment time that Father, just move in our presence, convict us, talk to us. Pray these things in Jesus' name.